are speaking and have been the last two weeks into this series, good news for a weary soul. And we're not saying everyone's weary, it's the beginning of the year, but, but the reality we would present as we're presenting these different pictures and perspectives of the gospel and all that has been achieved on the cross but for, by Jesus for us. That as we come from these different angles, there is beauty beyond what this world could imagine. And it should secure and anchor us. It should take away that feeling that I'm just holding on on tenterhooks. Do you know what tenterhooks are? Most people don't. They're a real thing. They're little hooks that when you make cloth, that you're using the, these, these light hooks on the side to take cloth around and around and you weave your cloth together. But they are small hooks. They aren't strong. I would present to you that if we don't have a full grasp, of redemption, a full grasp of justification, a full grasp of propitiation, a full grasp of what Jesus has achieved for us on the cross. I'm telling you, we are spend our lives just holding on, on tenter hooks, insecure whether those hooks will hold. And so God calls us to come to his word, to come to his truth and to teach his word to his church and to each of our souls that we can become strong and get a full grasp of the gospel. Does that make sense? It's because the gospel is more than just this salvation story for your one day when into eternity. The gospel changes and transforms our worldview, our perspective, the reason we make certain decisions. The gospel gets in there. And it's all that Jesus has achieved that secures us in that journey. Because it's going to be difficult, as the Apostle Paul wrote. And I have a desire to speak to the insecure believer. Insecure about what? Well, insecure about the love of God. And how, what does that look like? Let me give you a perspective and you don't have to put your hand up. But it's a little bit like a person who maybe doesn't normally give of time to people, talents away, God's given me talents, I want to keep, or even finances, we can't trust God with that. But then we need a breakthrough in our life. So we start giving away our time, our talents, and our treasures. And I would say to you that there's an insecurity in your relation with God because you somehow think you can move Him by your actions rather than by appealing to His goodness. And so it breeds insecurity in my relationship because now I've got to work for that little bit of favor. I'd present that I want to speak to the guilty soul, those who've been saved for years but living under the failures of the past and insecure about whether God has really dealt with that. And those stories and those brokennesses become these legacies and these almost trophies we hang on the wall rather than just one thing on our wall, on our life, on our kitchen fridge, Jesus and his finished work. I want to fight for that. Why? Because there are too many insecure believers. And God wants to settle us. He wants to settle our souls and what God has done and achieved for us. And when God does something, He finishes it. And so we can come to Him with confidence for things like healing. Why? Because Jesus died and because He died and because His blood never fails. We keep coming to Him for healing. And if I don't see every healing, I'll keep coming. Why? Because His Word told me who He is. And I'm not holding on to talks. I'm holding on to Jesus. Is that all right? That's why we're preaching this series, and it's really, really important. And we've gone down the road for the last two weeks, and if you haven't been around, I'd love to encourage you to just jump into those preachers. Why? Because they are building blocks. Building blocks. I've realized as I've hung around builders in these last months, the foundations are important. Really, really important. So they take a lot of time to make sure they lined up. They take a lot of time to make sure that the soil underneath needs a certain kind of foundation. I'm telling you, these truths, the doctrine of justification, is a building block, a foundation stone that'll secure you. But you can't just stay there. You've got to then come and look at redemption and what he has achieved. What is justification? Well, it's this incredible promise that, yes, it's God has forgiven us. And that is beautiful, but it doesn't stop there. 
It doesn't just stay there. He has changed our status from dirty sinners to sons of God. He's pulled us into that place. And because he's forgiven us, he sets us up for a victory. You're not constantly in deficit. Oh, I just need to repent to get back into God's good books. You can't do that by yourself anyway. Jesus has done it. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, the finished work of the cross means you're in God's good books. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you thought. He knows. And he's calling you to repent and to come back into an intimacy, in a place of intimacy. But God has established us. We see that in Romans 5, and we've loved that scripture in the series. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since then, the challenges he presents that since we have now been justified by the blood of Jesus. We've been justified, and it's a perspective issue. It's not about whether you are perfect in your path. It's about Jesus, and was he perfect? Is he perfect? And is his blood able to reckon your broken debt righteous? It's about God's perspective first. And we struggle because we are born with justice minds. So we think justification means justice. Well, it does, but ultimately it matters to the judge. And we struggle in our world to weigh up the scales. And I see my sons, and I mentioned before, they listen to a music, and we're talking about the testament of someone's life, and then he drops a swear word in his song, and they go, oh, Dad. I'm going, just breathe. Just, just breathe, little justice warriors in the vehicle of mine. Just breathe. Jesus. Then we speak about redemption, and Gabe preached so beautifully last week about this price that has been paid, an economic term that gets thrust towards us, and we go, well, we're not slaves. The challenge is people are slaves. We're slaves to anything we worship, and everything that comes along our way that we give our adoration to, we become slaves to, and God says, no, I won't put, I have purchased you with my blood. I've purchased your freedom, and, and, and Tim Keller presents, unless we are redeemed from our guilt, we will never be redeemed from the slave masters that run our lives. And it's this redemption, this purchasing of believers and, and sons and daughters of God out of slavery and out of their debt into credit because of the righteousness of Christ. So these are big concepts, and we're shooting through them. But they are just these images, but there's, a, there's another cousin in the mix. Know that cousin that no one talks about. People love preaching about redemption because it's beautiful and it's, and it's actually easy to preach about because it's just spectacular. And they love preaching about justification, but there's something in the middle that facilitates it all that is so essential in the gospel story, and it's this word propitiation. Say it with me, pro, propitiation. <laughs> that felt dirty all of a sudden. As I said it, I was like, can we stop? But we can't stop. I did ask... One of the, the younger leaders in the church on Friday night when I came to him, I said, what, do you know about propitiation? He says, yeah, it's another word for rain, eh? Um, it's precipitation. It's close. Trying to find how, but then, and I, but I did say to him, I wouldn't say his name, but he's married to Mignon. Um, So it's helpful. I want to read to you an incredible scripture that presents all three of these beautiful gospel truths. And, and then I want to say a few things about this to present to why you maybe haven't heard the word a lot, but you've heard the truth of it and the presentation of the theology of it a lot. But we're presenting the word to you because it's really important because it's a Bible word. It's in the Bible. This is how it goes in Romans 3, a beautiful presentation of 
of redemption, of justification, of propitiation. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short, fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through redemption that came by Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before and unpunished. Propitiation simply means this, to turn aside someone's wrath, it satisfies that wrath. It, it's, it's an incredibly unpopular doctrine. And the reason is most people struggle to, with the concept that this God of love, that we sing most of our songs about His love. And we invite people to come to relation with because of His love. We struggle to come to terms with what a gospel presents regarding that God could have wrath. Does anybody else struggle with it? Most believers struggle. So, so we want to replace this concept of propitiation with other things like expiation, which is a half of what God has done, which is the presentation of the substitution of our sins God has placed aside, but it doesn't take into effect that there's the satisfying of God's wrath in the mix of what Christ has achieved for us. And I would present to you that it's not actually this gruesome story of a horrible father, a bloodthirsty God that needed blood to be spilt so that people could be free. It's completely the opposite. Actually, it's the greatest picture and perspective of the love story. It's gruesome, but it's beautiful. It is It is. Humanity's great brokenness on this side with a great chasm between God's relentless love. And that great chasm needed to be overcome. It's, it's jarring, it's scarring, it's all those things. It's the different perspectives we come when we come to the cross. That's really important for us to understand why, because it'll secure us when we get insecure. It secures us. So I, I have perspectives of my wife, and I, I think she's the most beautiful woman in the world, and she captivates me all the time. And, and I, can, I look at her, and I love her hair from behind. I love that. But there's a certain perspective of my wife that only I see, which is a scar over here where three little boys were taken out of. It's a scar that will not go away, and it's beautiful. But it also was gruesome. I know because I was there. It tormented me for a long time. But it's beautiful. We've got to explain to our kids and present that. But there's this need, and the need was created by something that called sin. Simply this, Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages, there's a cost. There's the cost of sin, and we'll present that. But the gift of God is eternal life. See, sin brings physical death. Now, the challenge is Adam and Eve came and they sinned. And what was God saying? He says, well, don't eat of the tree of good and evil. And if you do, you will surely die. And people present, but they didn't die, did they? But they did. They were sent out. Their relationship with God became something that had to be worked on and sent out. And although God went with them, sin came into the mix and brought this death, that, that there was death in their family line. If you follow their sons, there was death. There was death that came into their, their life. They didn't experience the joy that they continued to live. There was a death that came at a deeper level. And sin comes in, and sin says this, there's a bill to pay. There's a bill to pay. Beyonce got it right. Pay my bills. Pay my bills. Don't know the rest of the song. I just know that part. Maybe I can get level back up. He can do it. 
Who gets excited when Levo gets excited? I get excited. I don't know what this is, but I want to do that. But, but there's got to be this emphasis on the holiness and the righteousness of God and the, the complete depravity of our sin. And there's a separation that comes. It says this in Isaiah 59, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. There's the separation between the perfection of a gloriously perfect God who in no way can sin, in all ways is perfect, and our brokenness. The Romans reminds us that we all fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because of sin. And so there's this great need to cross the chasm. The Old Testament gives us a foreshadowing of this, a picture of what was to come. And it was part of the sacrificial system that, that was presented as God's way before what, of what Christ achieved us on the cross. The, the priests would come and there would be the sacrificial system and, and on that most holy day, the one main man priest with chains tied to his legs would make his way into the Holy of Holies and towards something called the mercy seat, which literally is the translation for propitiation. The mercy seat where he would take the blood of a perfect ram and the best animal they got, they'd send another one out into the desert to go and die. Another would be sent out to go and die. And one would be taken and the blood of that one perfect lamb would be sprinkled, would be poured upon the mercy seat. And as long as there was blood on that mercy seat, all the sins of God's people would be reckoned, brought in line and allowed to be moved forward by because of the sprinkling of blood. It's presented in this way in Leviticus 17. For the life of a creature is in the blood and I've given it to you to make atonement, to make right, to bring peace with God where you cannot. To make atonement for yourselves on the altar, it is the blood that makes atonements for one's life. The, the Greek term helasterion, which literally is translated at the mercy, is the reflection when we point to Jesus in Hebrews 9. It's this picture of Jesus for us, the one whose blood was spilled for us, the perfect sacrifice, the one perfect sacrifice that could make right all the sins of the world. And as long as there's blood on that mercy seat, God saw the blood and accepted the people. And Kim, Tim Keller speaking about propitiation, because even here some are struggling. He's saying, but, but we sing about a God of love. We never sing about his wrath. We've got to stop thinking about in the context of the wrath of a petulant man who's having road rage. Although I love those YouTube videos, because they're very entertaining. When you just see someone who's completely lost it, they have compl they completely lost it. I don't know if you've seen that one where the guys bang on the window and then they put a, a tune to it and they start singing with it. You should watch that. That's a good one. But it's nothing to do with my preach. But we, we start to want to present to God when we talk about the wrath of God. Understand this. The wrath of God is, is, is first and foremost, Tim Keller says this, it only makes sense when you put these four truths in place. And I want to present to you these four truths. First, that great love makes you capable of great anger. Let me explain. Great love makes you capable of anger. And the challenge, people go, I don't want an angry God. I want a hugely loving God. But understand this, sin is in the story. And parents of newborn children, I hate to tell you, they are born with a sinful nature. That's what the Bible says. Some whose kids are a little older, like, amen. The young people are like, not mine. No, but they are. No one had to teach me. 
And that sinful nature has to come, and it presents a life where sin becomes part of my story. But God says, I want to redeem my people. I want to place justice upon them. I want them to wear the robe of righteousness that comes only through Jesus. The only way that happens is by passionate love pouring out. But also, you've got to understand that, that I don't know about you, but I've never known passionate people are only ever passionately loving to not have another side where they passionately cross sometimes. That makes sense. And understand this, generally, my greatest passions are when someone's hurting someone I love, that's when I'll get most passionate. What does sin do? It destroys and it kills the people God loves. The ones he created, the ones that he poured his love out, the ones he said, let it be, and he breathed life into them. Sin destroys people's lives. Come and hear some of the stories and see the celebration of what God has done as he's plucked people out in the recovery ministry and seen life come. Come and hear the stories and see what God has done, but also hear the stories where, where others have taken different choices and the destruction that comes. From arrogance to pride. And I would present to you, as Tim Keller says, any God who is not angry at evil and injustice is not worthy of my worship. Why? Because he's perfect for me to come into his presence. I cannot come on my own, as Moses knew so well. I need a God who is passionate, not just about his love for me, but also passionate about the thing that is trying to destroy me. He's passionate. Secondly, that God is a good judge. So he's not... He's not lashing out in his anger because he's having a bad day or he's cranky. No, he's not saying, I need blood. He's this bloodthirsty God. No, it's not that at all. There was a system in place that only blood, the blood of the perfect, could be sacrificed and placed on that altar. And as long as that blood was laid down in altar, there was a right standing with God. And that was in place from the start. God's wrath is, is, is poured out against the opposition Sorry, let me say that again. God's wrath is settled opposition to evil. What does that mean? It means it's not God's temper that's lashing out. It's God's wrath that's fighting to see his children walking back in peace with him. Stay with me. I'll present to you as he, Tim Keller presents, and he's a clever guy, so you have to listen to him. He said, forgiveness is always a form of suffering. So understand this, God comes in and sin always separates us. It separates us from God. And what happens is sin is we're placing our souls in front of God. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. There's a substitutioning of God for the sin. And God says, actually, I'm going to come and be the substitute for you. And salvation is God sacrificing himself for you. Why? So there can be a right standing with God. But he presents that in suffering and forgiveness, there's always suffering. And as we come to the cross, people read Isaiah 53, they go, not my Jesus. No, you've got to look at it and go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the sad that you suffered on the cross. And when we do that, and that perspective comes, we start to understand that God shed his own blood to satisfy a sacrificial need. And that's why the last point is so important for me. It says this, that that it wasn't Jesus' action, it says this, God presented, not Jesus. I want to read that scripture again. I've jumped ahead, but I want to read it again. Oh, and then you can't find it. It says in verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. It's a really important detail there because it brings in an incredible theology and doctrine of the Trinity. 
the doctrine of the Trinity breaks into the story, and it's a really foundation stone, keystone doctrine for us. It says God presents, what does that mean? Well, this wasn't the action of an angry father lashing out at our sin, saying, son, die. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity presented Jesus as the sacrifice. What does that mean? It means we have no concept of beauty. It means we've got to understand and come to the concept of God presents as the most beautiful action of sacrifice. Why? So that people could be set free. So that their sins and their brokennesses won't hold them back anymore. So the chains and the insecurities that limit and make small, that God would present. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the chasm is too great for them. They can't get over themselves. There needs to be a perfect sacrifice. Jesus saying, I'll go. I'll be that. Let my blood pour for them. It settles us. It says this. Don't worry about the lights. I'm sure they're coming back. Hebrews 9, verse 11, speaking about the blood of Christ. But when Christ came as a high priest, as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves as they had always done before. With such fear and trepidation, those high priests would enter in with the fear that they would get struck down and pulled out by a cable because they weren't good enough. The, it says, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they, will, they are outwardly clean. How much more? I love those words. One of the gospel, how much more? How much more then will the blood of Christ, who go through eternal, the eternal spirit, offer himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. I just want to jump to three simple reasons. God's propitiation and Jesus' propitiation, as our propitiation meets God's mercy and it has to settle our deepest insecurities. Number one, know this, you're no longer a target of God's wrath. That's something to say amen about. I know you said amen about Quintins and others, but that's something to say. That's incredible. Understand this, when sin was our story and the stains and the blemish of sin is our narrative and our story and the cloak that we wear, we have no authority to stand and sing a song, I am a child of God. But understand this, that it's not your actions either that give you the authority to sing, I am a child of God. It's not your ability to walk the road. It's not your ability to sin, live a sinless life. The Bible presents that you can't. The target is taken off your back by one action and one action alone, the blood of Jesus that poured on Golgotha. And that's it. And it settles us. It has to settle us in his love and no more looking over our shoulder to see if the Father is after us. That is gone. And yet the problem is I see too many believers walk around like, oh, I did this thing. Yeah? Let me tell you about Jesus. Our propitiation. The one who presented and poured his blood out to settle every debt. Something we could never do for ourselves. It says this in John 3, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. No more your story. 
you've given your life to Jesus. No more the target on your life. No more. It means we've got to start living like it's not. It means it's got to change our perspectives, our actions, our decisions. And the reasons we make our decisions, oh, I don't want to, I don't really don't want to get God cross. God isn't cross. God's a father going, come on, look at him, he's walking. Secondly, all our sins have been paid in full. Now you're going to hear this at Christmas and you're going to hear it at Easter and you're going to hear it every Sunday, but know this. Know it, know it, know it. All your sins, past, present, and future are settled and have been paid in full. It is the difference between every religion on this earth and Christianity. Every other religion, work really hard, do fulfill all the laws, fulfill all the mandates, serve really well for a long time, and maybe, just maybe, you'll be good enough. Jesus comes and dies for you before you've even born. And he says, you have been paid for in full. Any transgression you could ever do is paid for in full. Now live free. Why do you want to walk free from sin and away from the enemies? Why? Because you want to live to please him. Not because you can change your status or better your status. All sins. It's just that old hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Let me say this because some of you are struggling. You're not sure exactly what I'm saying. Let me say this. Sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. It robs, kills, and destroys. An active pursuit of sin and its ways is called rebellion in the Bible. And rebellion leads to chaos and brokenness. But God's grace, grace is stronger still. That's why repentance is a gift to the believer who understands their status before a glorious God. So it settles our anxieties. Can I come back to God? You can come. You can come. What had the prodigal son ever done to deserve any reception like he got like the father? No, you come. And you just keep coming. And you keep coming. And you keep coming. Not because of what you could ever achieve, but because of what Jesus did. And the father will receive you every time. And lastly, and the thing that's got to settle us is we live from a favorable position before God. What does that mean? There's too many believers living like we're still in debt to God. And so when we come, it's like we're trying to make our way back into His goodness. If I, if I pray and fast really good this week and I don't have my coffee in the morning and I don't sneak a vegetable platter in at lunch, maybe, just maybe, God will love me. I'm going, no, stop it. Fast from here. He loves me. I want to be in His presence. I want to pursue Him. I want to trust Him. And I'm highly favored. That target that was on my back is gone. I have the favor of God on my life. And I live from that place with no knowledge. I don't know what knowledge is, but knowledge is better than knowledge. With the knowledge that I'm favored by the living God because of Jesus. It's got to secure my every insecurity and every part. And it is amazing. We are righteous. We are justified. We are the adopted sons and daughters of the living God. As we sang, we are kings and priests. We are the saints of God. We are the friends of God. We are the redeemed. We are the saved. We are the completed. We are the bride of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. And it just keeps going. Why? I didn't say that. The Bible says it. And it's time to start believing what the Bible says about what Jesus has done.
So we've got to tackle these big ideas, these big thoughts. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Everyone okay? I've got to worship a passionate king. I love expressions of worship like Leba. I was watching him this morning. If I knew had a worship lead like that when I was a kid, I would have wanted to be a banker too. Imagine this kind of bank meeting. Guy comes in for a loan. Lebo, we can do it. I'm like, I want that guy as my like. But when I come to the Father in heaven, it is passion. It's the passion of Christ. Yes, it's blood. Yes, it's brutal. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's hard to stomach that that was for me, but it's the cross. It's what was needed. It was the purchase price that necessitated so that I could walk free. And so could you. It was the price that was paid so you didn't have to be insecure about the love of God anymore. I want to read one more scripture. Romans 10 verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say whoever. Whoever. Say saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got to strip off the limitations and strip off the lies and live like the promises of God that are given to us in His Word. You know what will start happening? Life will flow. Life will flow. Life will flow. Life will flow. Not because you know what a word called propitiation means, because you know Jesus. Because you've received His sacrifice. And it is more than enough every time. Can I pray for us? Then we're going to sing this song together as we land. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, what an amazing thing. As we worship now, I pray, settle every insecurity. Thank you for your blood. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your blood. Thank you, God, that the chasm we could not cross, you crossed over. Thank you that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you poured out and began the mission of God to call your sons and daughters home, and you made a way where we could make no way. Thank you that for whoever, whoever would come, they may be saved because of you, Jesus. So I pray as we sing this truth again of your love and your grace with full knowledge of the wrath that has been satisfied once and for all by the blood of Jesus. Settle any insecurity, settle any desires to play a part we can't play so that you might get all the glory in our life.